excited about today because of what we get to talk about. Today, we're, I've been saying for a while, we're starting a new series of messages. It's called Kingdom Business. And we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. And I'll just tell you, for me, when I understood what the kingdom of God was all about, it changed the way that I view who Jesus is. Right. It's I think it's very important. And uh, and we'll get into that in a minute. We got plenty of time. Right. Because the Cowboys don't play until three thirty today, three twenty five. So, um, man, we can just keep going. And uh, and I told him, don't break the brisket out so that you guys all smell it until we're ready to eat. Actually, I didn't say that. They're probably getting it out right now. So let me start this way. Um, those of you who have been around church or if you've been in the United States, more than likely you've heard about church. You may not even know about Jesus, but you've heard about church. And here's the thing about church. Church used to be the home team, if that makes any sense. Church used to be like um, when you have a home game, for instance, and you're, you're playing a game. Our Caden's uh, my fifth grader. He's in football, and um, it's really painful to watch. Sometimes it's painful for him because, you know, fifth graders don't necessarily like being hit um, or hitting, for that matter. And then there's all these grown men around saying, you better hit them and go out there and hit them. And our whole lives we've been telling them, don't you hit. You know, you be careful, you be nice, you share the ball, you, and now we're saying, you, that ball's your ball, and you go get that ball, and you go hit them, and you hurt them, and we don't say hurt them, but you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's got to be confusing for these kids, because we're giving them all these mixed messages, and um, right now, we're, we have a three-away game. As a matter of fact, we played at South Lake Carroll yesterday, and that's not a very inviting place to go play, if you know what I mean. So... When we get to the home games, those are awesome because it's, it's closer to home and it's, uh, we're, we play at uh, Geyer at the Geyer Field over here and like it, it's just, it's, it's home. And when we're, we're getting ready for Harvest to have homecoming and homecoming is, you know, a time we celebrate coming home and uh, playing a football game and remembering our uh, state title we won last year and hopefully winning again this year. We're well on our way, by the way. But the church, we used to be the home team. It was just understood that you went to church. The church was like the light at the top of the hill. And if you wanted that light, then you went to the church and you got that light. If, am I making sense? You understand what I'm talking about. So that is who and what the church used to be. But I have to tell you that as time is going on, we're entering into what sociologists are calling the, the post-Christian culture. It's a place where the church isn't the home team anymore. We are not considered the light at the top of the hill. It, people don't go to church because that's what's infected, uh, expected anymore. In fact, did you know that fewer and fewer people are going to church? In fact, every year, 1% of churches closes. Every year, 1%. And you might say, well, that doesn't sound like too much. But if you think about the fact that that's a church about every 14 minutes in the United States closes. Like that's crazy. So many churches are closing, but it's just because people are not interested in church anymore. Not like they used to be. Um, they say we're not far behind the churches in Europe. If you've ever been to Europe, you go to some of the churches and they're just big, beautiful buildings and grandeur and, and the architecture is, is awesome. And people walk into the, the churches and, and they're just blown away by what these churches are. But today they're not much more than museums. And in fact, a, a 
somebody I knew went to uh, Italy and they were going on a tour of all the architectural things in Italy and um, they walked into a church and it was in the middle of the church service and the tour guide began to talk about the architectural prowess of the, the sculptor and like these things and it's just an odd place. And did you know that in London, um, in the last 20 years in London, 400 churches have been turned into mosques in the last 20 years. So it's just, it's not just in the United States, it's the world over. So in this series, what I want to do is I want to take a look at what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Christ in the year 2021. In 2021, what does it look like? How is it different from 1921 or even 1821? You guys know some of you, the history of church and, and how things are changed. We're going to go through some of that. We know how to be Christ followers then, but how is it that we're Christ followers today? As church changes, how should we change with it? And I'm gonna start by asking this question. And if you, any of you watched the video that I posted, it, um, this kind of spurred some things in me about the gospel. What is the gospel? What is the gospel message? In, in recent years, Bible scholars have been going back and looking at uh, the teachings of Jesus and wondering, did we miss something? And what Jesus taught, did we miss something? And here's what I want to say to you. We've all heard the word gospel a lot. I mean, really a lot in our lives. We talk about the, it's the gospel truth. It's, we're being taught what the gospel is. We have the gospels in the Bible, like gospel is a word that we've heard. But I would bet, and this is true for me, uh, until I started really digging into this, I would bet that if somebody came up to you and asked you what the gospel message was, you wouldn't quite know how to put your finger on it if you, if you really began to think about it. Most of, the, most of us would try to give an idea. And, and the word gospel, just to give you where it came from, the, the word gospel is a combination of two old English words that mean together, you put them together and they come out to the word gospel. And those two words are good and news, good news. So gospel is literally good news. And so if we begin to look at, like some recent Bible scholars are, what was the gospel, what was the good news to Jesus, then it might change what we are talking about. So let's look at some scripture here. This is Mark 1.14. This is where the app comes in handy, by the way. Uh, they'll also be on your screen, but here we go. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus goes and he adopts a strategy to communicate this message to everyone he could. Luke 8, 1 is the next one. And it says, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And then Jesus sends his disciples out and tells them to proclaim this essential message. In Luke chapter 9, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to, to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. If we read through the Gospels, we'll discover that Jesus spent his entire ministry, all of his life, talking about one topic, one thing. That's the kingdom of God. When he was crucified, after he was resurrected and he appeared to his disciples, he talked about one thing in Acts. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom 
of God. The last glimpse that we have of the church in Acts, the last earthly glimpse that we have, Paul is, it talks about Paul and in Acts chapter 28, it says this, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. It sounds like they were really obsessed with this kingdom of God thing, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus, every time it says he talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And by the way, if you're reading in Matthew, Matthew refers to it as, as the kingdom of heaven all the way through. The other uh, gospels, uh, Mark, Luke, and John, all talk about the kingdom of God. But Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. And if you remember, they, they really didn't even say the word God. They, it was too... Um, awesome for them to speak. So heaven was often substituted. So when you see kingdom of heaven in Matthew, it's referring to the same thing, referencing they would have understood the kingdom of God. So if we were going to say that Jesus gospel message was all about one thing, we would say that it was about the kingdom of God. And here's what it is. The kingdom of God has become available to ordinary people like you and me. You guys are looking at me like, right on. That's, that's good. Like, because for us, that, that doesn't elicit the same kind of response. But for the average person, especially those hearing this for the first time, that would have been really good news. People like tax collectors, like sinners, like Gentiles, like prostitutes, people who thought they were a million miles away from God, all of a sudden, now they realize that they can have a part of this kingdom of God that for centuries had been set up as a spot, a spot only for the elite. Only the elite were allowed part of this kingdom of God. Jesus came and said, that's not it at all. I'm going to teach you about this kingdom of God. And here's what it looks like. It's available to everybody. Jesus says that in his person, Jesus Christ in his body, in his person, the kingdom of God has come to earth. That's like good news all over, right? All right, so let's talk about, let's draw a contrast here. Let's talk about the substitute gospel. So what is the substitute gospel? Here's the tragic part. Millions of people, including us, have substituted this gospel for the one that we all know. And the substitute gospel is an obsession with the minimum entrance requirements for heaven. I mean, we don't call it that. We don't say, hey, let me tell you the substitute gospel. We call it the gospel. And, and let me say this, that going to heaven is great news. I'm not taking away from that. Going to heaven is good. And we just sang about it because he lives, right? And one day I will cross over and it's going to be glorious, and I'll be excited about that, and that's going to be awesome. But Jesus never talked that way. We've given this impression, and we've understood, and I was taught that the whole idea of the kingdom of God was that when I die, I get to go to heaven. Let me, let me help you out here. There's a there's a great theological point, and it's a deeply theological movie, and this movie's called uh, Monty Python and the Quest for the Holy Grail. 
in this movie, The King's Quest, has, has led the group of travelers to a castle. But in front of the castle is a chasm. And before they can cross the chasm, you might remember the scene if you've seen it, they have to talk to the gatekeeper. And the gatekeeper has the ability to allow them to cross or not based on the answers that, that they give. Let, let's watch this. This is where something very profound and deep happens. Stop! Who would cross the bridge of death must answer me these questions three. Yeah, the other side he see. Ask me the questions, bridge keeper. I am not afraid. What is your name? My name is Sir Lancelot of Camelot. What is your quest? To seek the Holy Grail. What is your favorite color? Blue. Right, off you go. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. That's easy! Stop! Who approacheth the bridge of death must answer me these questions three. Uh, the other side he see. Ask me the questions, bridgekeeper. I'm not afraid. What is your name? Sir Robin of Camelot. What is your quest? To seek the Holy Grail. What is the capital of Assyria? I don't know that. You see... We have this idea about the gospel that there are these secret questions that have to be answered. And once you answer the questions, then you're able to cross over into heaven, right? That's kind of what we have understood. But the problem is Jesus never said that he was going to give us a secret formula. He never said he was going to give us magic words or a secret prayer that allowed us to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus doesn't say this. Here's what he says. He says, here's the good news. God's kingdom is available and accessible to everybody right now. So review your plans for living and choose to follow him. Jesus' gospel includes the forgiveness of sins. That is good news, but it's more than that. His gospel includes the promise that death will not have its last word in your life. You get to spend forever with Jesus in eternity in heaven. That's great news, but that's not all. Jesus' gospel includes God's kingdom is breaking in here and now, where you live, where I live. His kingdom is, in fact, this morning as we're worshiping God and as we're singing the songs, his kingdom is available to us. It's right there. You can reach out and you can grab it and touch it and your sins are forgiven, and you get to go to heaven. It's awesome. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here over and over and over. We hear those words, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. The problem is the substitute gospel doesn't have much to say about here and now. It really only speaks about the end. It doesn't talk about what kind of jerk I am right now or how selfish I am. Jesus' mission was to do more on the cross than, than simply die so we can spend eternity with him. If we reduce what Jesus did for us to that very small thing, then I think we're dishonoring his sacrifice because it's so much more than that. He did die on the cross so that our sins can be forgiven, but there's so much more. 
Jesus said in Matthew 6, don't worry so much about everything in life, about all this stuff. Of course, I'm summarizing. Live for God and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. You remember the scripture. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Jesus' gospel has to do both with now and later. It's not one and it's not one or the other. Jesus' primary concern then is to make sure that his kingdom is available to everyone and his purpose is to model what the kingdom of God looks like. We all admire Jesus. You read about Jesus in any of the scriptures and you think, my goodness, he's my hero. How amazing was that guy? All of the things he did and all of the things he put up with and the people's lives that he touched. He was modeling for us what he wanted for us in everything he did and said and thought it was all about his kingdom. All of it. And here's the rub. He wanted his followers to extend his kingdom. You see, he showed us how to live. He showed his disciples how to live. And then he said, now go and do this. And we'll talk later about it, but they've discovered that this was one of the great reasons, one of the reasons for the, the great explosion in Christianity because they took it seriously. Now, we're talking about kingdom and one of the problems with talking about kingdom, and that's the way the Bible's written, is we don't really talk that way anymore, you know? We don't talk about kingdoms. It's not something that we grasp like, it doesn't mean the same thing. It's very archaic. I mean, we can watch video clips or read books and get an understanding a little bit, but Uh, there's a, let's, let's just do a little experiment here so you guys can understand some. A sociologist call this, actually they've labeled it as the range of your effective will. The range of your effective will, meaning that we all have a sphere. And in our sphere, what we say goes. And you learn real quick that with two-year-olds, their sphere encompasses like everything. <laughs> Everything where what they say goes and they're grabbing for this thing and they want this thing and they like they're learning what the range of their effective will is. But our kingdom begins with us. We control our body. Now, as two year olds, they figure this out. Their first word is no. They believe that their kingdom can do whatever they want. And they also believe that nobody else's kingdom can violate their kingdom. Like they've, they've got it. And if you have kids, you begin to see how each sphere of influence will sometimes cross into the other. I really thought it was just me and my sister growing up because nobody taught us this, but driving down the road, we were going on vacation. I've got three kids and we have an excursion, pretty big vehicle. Like you should have no problems not touching each other, right? <laughs> Good space in between. And I could, I literally could hear them talking about quit touching me. <laughs> like this is the line that you cannot cross. And I was like, wait, I did that like 20 years ago with my little sister. Don't cross this line. This is my kingdom and that's your kingdom. Don't you cut, you're, you, you're gonna experience some bad, bad kingdom violation if you come over here, you know? And that's what they were doing. And they were like, dad, dad. And then dad pretty much soon, what does he say? He says, hey, this whole car is my kingdom. Like you don't have a line, get out of, I will pull this car over. <laughs> I will pull this, my dad never threatened by the way. He just pulled over. 
When he, when he got done, he wasn't like, if you don't stop, I'm going to pull this car over. He, if you felt the car begin to go over, oh, no, we're in bad trouble. My dad didn't put up with it. That's, that's kind of gives us an idea of what kingdoms are. And having a kingdom is a good thing. The problem is that our kingdoms are all junked up by sin. Sin in our lives, this happened because of the fall of Adam and Eve. Sin crept into the human race, and now we have sin in our spheres. And Jesus talked about how hard it was to lead people without violating their kingdom, without having them feel coerced or that their status was diminished. And then other people, they will use fear and coercion so they can control a kingdom. Just watch politics, man. Politics are the worst. Everybody, they, all kinds of fear coming both sides uh, about how we can control each other. So then here comes the kingdom of God. Jesus paints the picture of a kingdom. Imagine a place where other people's kingdoms are not violated. Imagine a place where the strong do not violate the weak, but rather accept them and welcome them and love them because everybody is made powerful in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, there is no strong and there is no weak. Everybody is equal. We all have kingdoms and they're all junked up by sin. Then our kingdoms intersect other kingdoms and, and we call those families and, and schools and companies and nations. Jesus calls that whole conglomeration the kingdom of earth. So he paints this dichotomy of the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven. And he says, we got two, we got two choices we can make, one or the other. And he talks about that a lot. And he says, in speaking about money, which is what dominates the kingdom of earth, you can't serve both. You have to choose who it is you're going to serve. In the kingdom of earth, everybody's out for their own agenda and their own kingdoms. Then there's the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, this society that Jesus talked about. And the kingdom of God is, is this sphere where what God says goes. And you've heard me say this before, where everything that happens meets with his approval and his delight. Can you imagine that kind of place where everything is exactly the way God wants it to be? Can you imagine living in a world like that? What would that be like? Most of what Jesus taught was what that looks like. Go back and read it. And, and I'll say this, when I'm teaching something, I appreciate that you trust me, but go read it for yourself. Dig into it. Go back and look at every teaching of Jesus and see what is it that he's teaching. This is what Jesus taught. And Jesus thought that once we figured out what this kingdom of God was all about, that we would be willing to do anything to be a part of it. If you read it in Romans 14, it talks about what you eat and what you drink and following the rules and, and kind of, it's not about that, but the kingdom of God is not about legalism. It's about peace and joy. The kingdom of, of earth is about religious stuff and trying to be better than everybody else. 
And to be perfectly honest, that's something I struggle with because, and you've heard me say, in personality strengths, one of my top is competition. So I want to be better than everybody else. But I have to realize that in the kingdom of God, we're all equal. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. Imagine a place where there is no pride, where there is no arrogance, where there are no big shots, where people are always looking out for the poor, always taking care of each other, where there are nobody, uh, no lonely or dejected people so that everybody is celebrated and loved, where nobody does petty or small-minded things, where people get along where there is no gossip, where there is no cruelty, where there is no fear, where there is no coercion. That's the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus came to teach. That's what Jesus came to tell us. This is what the kingdom of God is like. And it's actually going on right now. And it's good. Then there's the kingdom of earth. Things aren't going so good there. Did you know 30,000 kids die every day from malnutrition and preventable diseases and lack of drinking water? Children, 30,000 every day. Totally fixable. In fact, the United States eats enough ice cream, I've said this before, that if we fasted ice cream for one year, whatever money you would have spent on ice cream, we put it all in a pot. We could end these things with that amount of money. That's the kingdom of earth. Here's Jesus' plan. He said that when people catch what he's up to, when they really begin to figure this out, they will be willing to do anything to be a part. Think about the people you know in your life who are lonely, who are marginalized, who are poor. How much would they give up to be accepted into this kind of a kingdom? So he, t he would tell stories like this. The kingdom of God is, is like this. It's like a man who found a valuable treasure in a field. You guys remember that story? found a valuable treasure in a field. He buried it. He buried it back. He went and found the owner of the field. And then he bought the field so he could have that treasure. That's not a story about land acquisition or real estate development. It's a story about the kingdom. And when people really understand how awesome that kingdom is, they'll do anything to be a part. Anything. They will beg, borrow, hawk everything they've got sell everything they've got, do whatever it takes to get involved in this kingdom. Hope I'm not going too fast for you guys. There's a lot to cover today. But we're almost done. So let's talk about the Lord's Prayer a little bit. How do we know this? What gets us to this point? Why would we even begin to think this? We all know the Lord's Prayer. Probably some of you have recited it. We went through a period with our kids where we said it every night. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see it right there. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not cone, ignore that. On earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God, let what happens up there happen down here. Jesus never taught us to pray, get me out of here so I can go up there. Beam me up, Jesus. Anybody remember that? Beam me up, Scotty. Yeah, the kids are like, what? I can't wait for the rapture so I can be shot out of here right before this whole earth blows up. <laughs> like that's kind of the way that I 
was learned growing up. That's kind of what I understood. I, that's, that's what I thought. But that's not what Jesus taught. What he taught was, let what happens up there happen down here. In other words, God, the way you want things done up there, let it be so in my life. Let it be so in my church. Let it be so in my office, in my family, in my neighborhood, in our city, in our country. God is at work restoring what he created. This is the beautiful thing about what God set up. I don't want to get like deep into the theology weeds, but there's a first Adam and the second Adam, right? God made Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve messed up. Sin entered the world. And God was like, oh, these people, they're all knuckleheads. Jesus, you got to go. Sent Jesus down, the second Adam, perfect man. Spirit sourced, Holy Spirit, to show us how to do it. Now, by the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, I am being restored into the image that God created me when he created Adam and Eve. He created us in his image, right? That image was, was distorted. It was messed up. But by the work of the Holy Spirit, it can be restored. So he's at work restoring me, but it doesn't stop with just me. He also wants to restore this earth. If you read, read about it, I'm telling you, it's not just me saying it. And behold, in Revelation it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down. God wants to make all things new again. You've heard that, right? So it's not about us leaving here. It's about this place becoming again what God intended it to be. As long as he's absent until he returns, it's going to be us doing that for him. It's us taking care of other people. It's us welcoming in the, the marginalized. It's us taking care of the poor. It's us helping the widows and the orphans. That's why we do things like partner with safe families so that you can be involved in the lives of widows and orphans. It's why we do things like partner with Rescue Hill where children and women are being trafficked. We want to help those things. We want to help do what God has put us here to do. That's why love is such a big deal to me. Because we are to love each other. God has called us. Again, I'm getting off. But Jesus said, John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. There's so much to break down in that. But just the, the Cliff's Notes version, Jesus, as he loved them, the disciples at the time, us, he showed them what that looked like. And what did that look like? All the way to death on the cross, man. Like he gave everything for them. As I have loved you, so you must love others. Love is so much more than just liking each other and being nice to each other. Love is seeking each other's well-being. Because there's some days that I may come to church and not like somebody. Nobody here, I like all of you. But because I love everybody here, I should always seek their well-being. So when I ask somebody, can I help you with something? I don't want it to be an empty promise or an empty ask. I want to ask genuinely and mean, how can I help you? And if you, if you say, hey, I need you to come help me move. Oh, okay. 
I will do it because Jesus loved me so much. He died on the cross for me. The least I can do is help you move something, right? Like it's, it's what we do. It's, it's showing each other. It's, it's loving each other. That's the kingdom, man. That's what Jesus came to teach us. And that's how Jesus lived. Jesus' plan was that he could teach his followers how to model a new life. That's what he did. That's all he did. Model a new life. One in which the kingdom of God could break into a cold and dark world. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the implications of this. We've kind of set up what the kingdom of God is. The way of life that we are called to as Jesus followers. Who he has called us to be. You will find that those who have chosen to take this kingdom of God seriously have been throughout history some of the most influential people in the world. People who really have taken it seriously. This kingdom business is radical. And it's not for the faint of the heart. And it is why in 350 years, Christianity took over the world. And then it stalled out. Somewhere along the way, we began to think that being a Christian meant I get to go to heaven only. And, and it's true, we get to go to heaven. But it's so much more. It's a place where the rich share with the poor, where slaves and free people can be together, where, where people respect each other. I mean, and I'm saying this because this is what really happened. This is what happened. Paul came in and said, there's no longer slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile. You guys remember that? We have all been made equal in the sight of our living God. And once people figure out what this is all about, once people really figure out what this is all about, I too believe they will be willing to do anything to be a part. Which tells me that if our church would be a growing church, then we're going to be a church that people see the kingdom of God in. They're going to know that they can come here and whoever they are and whatever their background and whatever country they're from and whatever color their skin is, we're going to be made equal in the eyes of God. That's what God wants for us. It's not a radical social agenda. It's the kingdom of God. I think we have tried to translate the kingdom of God into some political platform, and that's not it at all. Jesus has called us to radical, sacrificial living. It's just the truth. But it's awesome. A place where we love each other. So your assignment this week, go out and find somebody to show the kingdom of God to. Just see what kind of difference it makes in their life. Find somebody and show them what the kingdom of God is. Let's pray. God, huh, this morning as we think about Jesus, about who you are, about what you did, about what you taught us and how you taught us to live, I pray that you would help us to embrace that. Help us to grasp the depth of the love that you have for us and then fill, fulfill the new command, Jesus, that you gave us. As you have
loved us, so we must love each other. It's a command. It's like not stealing. It's a new command. Teach us what that looks like. Help us to welcome the poor and the marginalized. Help us to welcome the needy, to take care of the widows and the orphans, to help those that need help, to truly love, to seek others' well-being. And this week, help us to find somebody to show this kind of love to. We love you this morning. Thank you for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to close with a song here, but I want to invite you to stay. The song's over when Bruno dismisses us. Stay, share a meal, eat, eat some brisket or some pulled pork. Let's love on each other like God has called us to. And um, if, you, if you're thinking, man, I didn't bring anything, it's fine. We have plenty. Really, we do. We have plenty. Matter of fact, there's going to be some leftovers, so that's good. But love you guys. Let's close with this song.